Good morning, Life Point. How are y'all? Wonderful. Grab your Bibles or your phone apps and open them to Romans 5, and we'll jump in. And let me just say two things. Number one, in the first service, I was getting to one really intense point, and I made the point, and like right after I, I delivered it with I'm, you know, flawless execution, I might add, right? It was just like, and everyone's like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, God's serious about that. And everyone laughed. So I'm just letting you know, God might choose to do that again. I don't know what point, which point he wants to emphasize, but just you've been forewarned. So there you go. Uh, let, me, let me set up the morning here and just remind us where we are in the series. Um, if you remember last week, I, I kind of used this metaphor of a F5 category hurricane storm system blowing through. And I said that suffering is often like this giant storm that we can see on a map. And in week one, what George tried to help us understand is this principal truth that when you're in the midst of a storm, what you've got to do is you've got to root yourself in something deep that can help you to sustain yourself in the midst of the storm. And that something deep is called God's Word and the truth of God's Word. And so that was week one. If you're going to get through suffering, you've got to root yourself. You've got to latch on to truth to help you make it through the, the storm of suffering. Week two, last week. I said, we're going to fly up, remember, and look at suffering from a Doppler uh, satellite view, just 40,000 feet up, and just try to understand some things about suffering. And what we came away with, just from that perspective, is we understood that suffering is something that happens. We shouldn't be surprised, especially as believers, that suffering happens because of the fall. Suffering is one of the consequences of the fall, and so we experience pain now, and pain, our experience of pain is called suffering. That happens. But we, we mentioned that if you suffer in Christ, you suffer best because you suffer um, within the framework of someone who is sovereign over suffering and can do work all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. That was week two. Well, this week what I want to do is I want us to kind of take a step back and actually go into the control room uh, of the spiritual weather station, just to continue this analogy here. I want us to look at the storm as it progresses, because what we see in Scripture is suffering has a very clear progression. It operates that way uh, from Genesis to Revelation, and there are some things we can learn from this. I think not only things we can understand and we can try to do, but more importantly, there are some things we need to learn to stop doing relative to what suffering does and how it progresses. Um, when I first got here this morning, uh, Tech Mike, Mike Wallace, who's in the back, who runs our tech side, uh, Tech Mike was looking at an iPad and it had this current weather system on it, and he was just explaining it from me, like on this map, right? And it was Canada to the southern border of Texas, all the way from Abilene to like Louisiana, kind of the Louisiana border. That's the, how big the storm system was as it's moving through. And he was just saying, hey, watch, you can see the stages in real time. You know, an hour ago it's here, an hour it's here, and it just progresses in this way. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how suffering progresses in the Christian life. And more importantly, we're going to ask the question, what is it, what is it that suffering produces? I mean, I understand suffering exists. We shouldn't be surprised at it. But what's the benefit? What, what does that do for me? What does it produce? Why is it important to understand this uh, in the Christian life? We're going to examine that today. And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say on that. And so we're going to jump into Romans 5 in a little bit. But before we do that, let's pray. And let's uh, just ask God to, to meet with us here. So would you join me in praying? Jesus, uh, I thank you that you not only um, use suffering for something important, 
but that you also give us clear teaching about suffering. You answer the what, you answer the how, you answer the why, you answer the when, you, you answer all the pertinent questions that we need to know so that as believers we can be equipped um, to speak into and to experience suffering uh, in the most godly, redeemable way possible. And I pray that you would today teach us about this topic for your glory and for the good of God's people. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Romans 5, I'm reading verses 3 through 6. It's in your bulletins, it's on the screen, it's in your Bibles that you're reading and on your phone apps. And here we go. Paul writes, not only that, and he's referring back to something he said in Romans 1 through 4. He's saying not only that, but, and now turning his attention to this present topic, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And and if you have a pen or a pencil or if you're writing in blood, just go ahead and circle this next phrase here. Hope does not put us to shame. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Life point, I want us to look at four principles or four true statements, really the four stages of suffering as Paul outlines it in Romans 5 here. And the first true statement, the first thing we got to observe here, number one is that suffering is an opportunity to exercise endurance. Suffering is an opportunity to exercise endurance. Or we might be able to say it like this, without suffering in the Christian life, without suffering We have no opportunity to exercise the muscles of endurance. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Matrix. It's about a 1999 film uh, about a a man who thinks he's living in reality, uh, but he comes to realize that he's actually not living in reality. He's living in this digital mental landscape. And once he discovers the truth, he takes a pill. His name's Neo. He takes a pill, and he gets ushered into what is reality, and he starts to learn the truth behind what he thought was just kind of his perception of the world. Um, And there's this one pivotal scene. If you haven't seen it, you've got this guy Neo. You've got this guy Morpheus. Morpheus is the, the leader of this resistance movement who's trying to awaken people to the reality of life. And so Neo, uh, when he is um, awakened, he, he comes, kind of drops into this, you know, liquid area, and then this machine picks him up, and they put him into an operating room. And if you can imagine, he's probably mid-20s, maybe late 20s, and for the entirety of his life, uh, he discovers that um, he's really never lived. And as a result, he's on the table, and he's just flailing like this, right? And he's like, why can't I use my arms and my legs? And Morpheus, the character Morpheus, looks at him and says, because you've never used your arms and legs in your life before. And so they're completely atrophied and, and, and you don't know how to like actually use your muscle groups. So just imagine this, a, a, a late 20s man has never used his muscles and they're all atrophied, okay? How does that man live? He doesn't know, he's never had to exercise them, he's never had any opportunity to exercise them, he's just kind of flailing around like a fish. Well, that picture right there is a great picture of those of us who have avoided suffering in our life, right? We're people who have never had an opportunity to exercise the spiritual muscles of endurance. We've never had to endure something. And that, because we've never had to endure something, we've never produced character. It's never produced hope. And so first big truth I hope you guys understand is that suffering is an opportunity to exercise endurance. Suffering is a really good thing if you're suffering in Christ. Just to give you guys a parallel here, um, th- there's a scene in the New Testament in the Gospels where a, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? 
And the idea we get of this rich young ruler, this is not a man who, by his own ingenuity and entrepreneurial ability, has amassed a fortune. This is not Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, right? Uh, this is not someone who has like, built this company, and that's why he has wealth. You, the idea you get there is this is a guy who's inherited a great deal of wealth from his family, who inherited a great deal of wealth from their family, who inherited a great deal of wealth from their family. You get the picture? Okay. This is probably a man who's never worked a day in his life. He's just very wealthy, and the majority of his day is spent just you know, spending money, buying things, acquiring things, going to parties, being in social life. And he comes to Jesus, and he thinks... Well, this guy has something to teach, so I'll just kind of ask him that. He says, what must I do, Jesus, to inherit you know, eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, give, take everything you own, all your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And he walks away. And Jesus has this great line there, okay? It's a very misunderstood line, but here's basically what he says. He turns to the disciples and he says, it is more difficult for a, a wealthy person, a, a rich person in that sense, to enter the kingdom of, of heaven. It's more difficult for that than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying no rich people are going to be in heaven. What he is saying is this. It's difficult for rich people to be in heaven. It's very challenging for wealthy people to follow Jesus. Why? Because with all of that wealth around them, it's built this cocoon, and they're now susceptible. They're, they've kind of uh, built this protective shell away from suffering. And so because they've never had suffering, they've never had to use their endurance muscles, and they're like Neo on the table. They're just flopping around. They wouldn't know how to endure, which means they don't have character, which means they don't have hope in Jesus. They've never had to exercise hope in Jesus. And so, life point, I want you guys to understand something. That w what you shouldn't take away from here is that local pastor says rich people are all going to hell. Please don't say that, right? Don't tweet that out right now. I didn't say that. I won't stand by it. I I do want you to understand this, and that is that suffering is not a bad thing if you're suffering in Christ. It's actually a beautiful opportunity that we have to practice exercising our endurance muscles, right? We need suffering if we're going to learn to endure, and endurance is a very valuable skill set for Christians. So that's principle number one. Principle number two, trained endurance, flexing those muscles, develops character, Trained endurance develops character, and character defined is the battle scars that come from walking with Jesus through trials. So trained endurance develops character, and character is the battle scars that comes from walking with Jesus through trials. So the idea you get there is the, the more time you're having to flex and, and practice endurance, the more you learn how to endure, not just as a single individual instance, but as a lifestyle. And so you develop a lifestyle of endurance. And, and what you develop in that lifestyle of endurance is something called character, which is this reflection that you've been in a lot of battles with Jesus and you've seen him come through. And so you've learned to trust Jesus, not as a moment, but as a lifestyle, meaning the whole of your life is about trusting Jesus because you remember every individual moment where you've had to trust Jesus and where he's come through. So the, I'll give you an example of this just from a personal life. Um, when I was in sixth grade, um, we, I'll just kind of back up. When I was in third grade or just before third grade, we moved from Houston, Texas to Palestine, Texas. And I grew up in Houston, and um, uh, my 
dad's brother and his family lived there. And so my cousins, Robert and Scott, who um, they were like my best friends growing up. Like we, we were boys. I remember being little and being like, you guys are going to be in my wedding, right? And we're going to have, I'm going to have an awesome wedding and you guys are going to be there. And we're going to be like brothers for life, right? We're like a wolf pack. We're like Wolverine, right? We're just, we're together in this, okay? And so in third grade, I moved to Palestine. In the first day of sixth grade, I got the news that my cousins Robert and Scott and my Aunt Karen, they were killed in a car, a car crash. First day of sixth grade. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. And I just remember, okay, so Robert was nine and Scott was six, and I was, you know, sixth grade age. And I just remember just being so terrified at the prospect of death. It's for the first time in my life, I'm having to process through death and dying and the, the finality of life. And I just remember as a sixth grader, I had no way to process that in a healthy way. And for whatever reason, like I just, I wasn't able to process with my parents or my friends. The, the best that people could do is just like come up and be like, I'm sorry, which was fine, but no one was helping me process. And I just remember at that point, the way I learned to cope with it is just to be terrified and to not talk about it. Just avoid talking about it, right? And so like, I remember in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade, I would be lying in my bed at night be in the dark of my room and I would think about death and I would wake up in a panic attack. Like one of those where you're like, <gasps> like this and you just be in panic. I just panic and I had, I had no way to deal with it. And so I would just be like, oh man, this is just so terrifying. I'd just be in fear, just paralyzed at that thought. And this was for the, the majority of my life, sixth grade, eight, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. In 10th grade, I became a Christian. And Jesus radically transformed my life. But I was still pretty terrified, this idea of death. So the, the prospect of Jesus saving me from death twice sounded pretty good to me, right? I'm like, okay, so I'll only die once, but not twice. I like this. Let's get on board with this. But I still had no idea what, what that was like, how to process through that in a Christian way. And so I went to my student pastor, and I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know it's one of those moments where I was really ashamed. You guys know this, right? You're really ashamed to admit something, so you go in kind of sheepishly, and you're like, I'm really terrified of death. And I'm thinking as I tell him this, right? I can just see it now. As I'm telling him, I'm really terrified of death. He's just gonna like laugh at me like, ha ha ha, you're a Christian now. You shouldn't be afraid of death. And he was gonna like pull out a Chuck Norris poster and a gun. He's like, right? Yeah, we laugh at death. We're Christians. I just thought for whatever reason, I thought that was how that conversation was gonna go down. It didn't go down that way, right? I tell him, hey, I'm afraid of death. And he's like, yeah, you know, most people are afraid of death. But in Christ, he's like, you don't have to have fear of death. And so he led me this passage here in 2 Timothy 1.7 that I'm going to pass on to you. And Paul's writing this letter, 2 Timothy, and he says this, and I memorized it in a combination of the NIV and the NASB at the time, and it goes like this, um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of confidence and of a sound mind. And I remember I wrote that on my little scripture memory card, and I went home, and, and for the next, I mean, well, up to this day, every time I've been afraid of dying or if I've thought about death or I've been in a situation where I'm just thinking about my own mortality, I, start, I started quoting that. I would just quote it over and over again, almost like it was my mantra, trying to hold on to the truth of Christ. And, and life point, I can tell you, I, I can remember back to vivid moments where I was terrified and scared and I'm lying in my bed and I am quoting that verse. Um, you know, in, in situations like this where there's thunder outside and the thunder happens and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just kind of anxious, right? I can remember moments as a, as a uh, 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, as an 18-year-old, just quoting that, God's not given us a, a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of confidence and of a sound mind. Freshman year of high school or college, sophomore year, junior year, see, like just that. I can remember all of those moments. And when I look back from this vantage point onto all those moments, you know what those moments are? That is 
trained endurance, developing character. The, those, those moments where I can remember quoting that verse and trusting in Jesus and letting the peace of Christ just rush over me as I'm scared. Those are the battle scars that have helped form my character. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Listen, suffering, life point, is this opportunity to flex the muscles of endurance. And it, trained endurance helps develop your character. If you want character, if you're here today and you want Christian character, guess what? You're going to have to have endurance, uh, and that endurance is only going to come and be afforded to you if you have opportunities to suffer in Christ. So that's principle number two. Principle number three is this. Character is confident in hope. Character is confident in hope. And remember, hope is a person, and that person is Jesus. Character is confident in hope. And remember, hope, hope's not a feeling. It's not a positive perspective. It's not, you know, a posture in your body. Hope is a person. The, the hope we have as believers is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And so character is simply being confident in who Jesus is as our hope. That's what that is. So let me connect those two stories here for you a little bit, and I'm just going to tell a bunch of missionary stories here. So just ready. we got Philippines and Frisco back, so we'll just talk about this. Um, I'll, I'll tell you kind of three quick ones. Because I want you to see the pattern of suffering and what it produces, right? So I remember um, in 2000, 